to 41.16, I was reminded of this. Uh, this Bible, um, it's got some old-fashioned Christian stickers on it. It's covered in uh, insulation tape, because uh, this was my first Bible that I was given uh, by uh, still one of my dear friends who helped lead me to the Lord on, uh, well, it was actually on about the 11th of November, 1991. I became a follower of Jesus on the 10th of November, 1991. And he wrote in it, and it's got a coffee stain on it, and uh, I love this Bible. This is the first Bible. I read it in three months. So I didn't really do much studying at university in my second year, but I wanted to know what I believe and why. Still learning. But he said, Dear Ed, I find it hard to believe what God has done, is doing in your life, but isn't it wonderful? God does love surprises. Just keep trusting in him. He'll never let you down. And he put two references, and one is part of the reading tonight. And as I was reading it, it's a verse I come back to again and again. Isaiah 40, verses 20. Uh, Let's go from 28. So here we go. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not go weary. They will walk and not be faint. Apologies for the stumbling on fall and fail. I'm becoming an older man. I kind of need reading glasses now, so uh, it's a dim light. So, uh, Sorry? Not my teeth this time. You'll start to see me probably with glasses soon, which is... Um, anyway, reading glasses. Be silent before me, you islands. Let the nations renew their strength. Let them come forward and speak. Let us meet together at the place of judgment. Who has stirred up one from the east? Calling him in righteousness to his service, he hands nations over to him and subdues kings before him. He turns them to dust with his sword, to wind-blown chaff with his bow. He He pursues them and moves on unscathed. By a path his feet have not traveled before. Who has done this and carried it through? Calling forth the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. The islands have seen it and fear, the ends of the earth tremble. They approach and come forward, they help each other and they say to their companions, be strong. The the metal worker encourages the goldsmith and and the one who smooths with the hammer spurs on the one who strikes on the anvil. One says of the welding, it's good. The other nails down the idol so it won't topple. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from the farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, 
you will not find them. Those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Do not be afraid, you worm, Jacob. Little Israel, do not fear. For I myself will help you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. See, I will make you into a threshing sledge, new and sharp, with many teeth. You will thresh the mountains and crush them and reduce the hills to chaff. You will winnow them, the wind will pick them up, and a gale will blow them away. But you will rejoice in the Lord. The glory and glory in the Holy One of Israel. Over the the course of these weeks, we've been reading Isaiah and seeking to understand the prophetic word, the oracle, the, the insights Isaiah gave to the nation of Israel over a long span. He, uh, the ministry of the prophet Isaiah started as, as quite a young guy in the reign of Isaiah and went on and went on and tracked the nation, spoke into the context of which they were living. Turbulent times. Times when the nations were rising, some were falling. The, the political tectonic plates, the Assyrians, of the fearful Assyrians in Nineveh. Uh, Jonah was terrified of going to them and bringing uh, the good news of the gospel to them. He fled the other way. Such was their dreadful reputation, and rightly so. The Assyrians were awful. Assyrians make Siri come on, I've just noticed. <laughs> Thinks I'm talking to it. Uh, um, throw me off my track now. And still Isaiah faithfully speaks, courageously speaks, going against the flow. See, the nation of Israel, actually the southern kingdoms, particularly Judah in Jerusalem, he'd also spoken against the northern kingdom. They were destroyed. That, that, um, that Isaiah was r- reminding them of saying, even in the midst of all that is going on, Come back to God. Don't be religious. Don't, don't kind of go through the motions. Don't trust in other idols. Trust in the living God, the one who has called you. If you, fa- if you cast your gaze, if you start to trust in other places and other things, you've missed the mark and God will judge you. And, and part of what is coming from Assyria, from the, from the, um, from the east, is part of God's judgment. We've reminded ourselves that God is a bad judge. We, it seems a lot, a cycle of judgment, 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 judgment. But actually there is always hope. And God again and again holds out his hand, yearning and willing through the prophetic voice for the people to turn. And so we come to this word, this oracle. Do you, do you not know, have you not heard? The reminder to fix our eyes. I, over the, um, uh, the course of the last week, uh, I've, I've watched a film. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, it's called Victoria and Abdul. Judy Dench. The younger guys are like, that sounds a really dull film. It's not got superheroes in it at all. Um, but it's, it's about Queen Victoria and her later reign and uh, someone who comes to, to bring her 
a gift from India. I just got back from India, so I thought I'd watch it. And it's, uh, it's about how she makes a friend in her later life of this guy, Abdul, and uh, the journey that they go on. And part of what struck me was, was how the, her household, all those kind of um, people who had uh, the aristocracy, those who were the ladies-in-waiting, those who had status in English society and the class system that was there, were really, really vexed, really, really troubled by this Indian who was a commoner who was elevated to this position. And they kind of got really riled about and tried to plot. And, and Prince Albert, was it was all kind of machinations to... to overthrow them because essentially they were asking the question, who are you, Abdul, to be here? You have no right to be here. You have no uh, status, heritage, culture. You know, you've not been gone to the right schools. You've not gone to the right colleges. You haven't got the right titles. Who are you to be the queen's friend? The empress of India's consort, not consort, but kind of close confidant. I won't spoil the end. But part of Part of what is going on in these texts is this question that God is posing through Isaiah to say, who are you, people? In Judah, who are you? Who do you think you are? And the, uh, the prophet is a little bit blunt in verse, uh, verse um, I need my glasses, uh, look at my notes. I haven't got them, they're in my house, I'm being stubborn. Verse 14 <laughs> Do you know, if you start wearing them, you have to remember to take them all the time, and it's the right bind. A bit of string, yeah, I'm going to look a bit. Anyway, they'll be up, I'm wearing my glasses on my head. But anyway, verse 14, do not be afraid. Listen to what he says, you worm, Jacob. That's a bit blunt, isn't it? Don't be afraid, you worm, Jacob. It's not that God is kind of being kind of cruel and victim, uh, vindictive, but he, he's actually pointing out here, and, and slightly earlier on in, when he talks about uh, Abraham in verse 8, he says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Sorry, that's verse 10. Verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. He's reminding them of who they are. Don't forget. Because under Solomon, under David, they've become kind of principal players in the Middle East. They've, they've established a great nation. And, and it was the kind of the heydays and the glory days. And everyone would come, you know, the Queen of Sheba. Everyone would come to Solomon and say, oh, great Solomon in all your wisdom and splendor and, and riches. And there's no one like you. Heady high days seeking the audience and the presence of God with them. But it's declined. It's got worse and worse and, and the borders are closing in and the pressure and the political intrigue. And where do you turn to for help? And the prophet says, don't you remember? You worm. What's he trying to say? He, he's trying to say, as, as he's already alluded to in the passage, that, that actually, who were they before God called Abraham? a bunch of nomads in the desert with a bunch of camels. And God spoke to Abraham and said, I've chosen you, come follow me, I'll give you a new land. And what did Abraham do? He went with the covenantal blessing, I'll make you great. He trusted God at his word. And who was Abraham's son, Isaac? And Isaac had two Sons, twins, do you remember? There was the hairy red one, he saw. And there was the wimpy, 
deceiver, Jacob. That's what his name means, deceiver. The worm, Jacob, that his brother was out hunting and, and Jacob was, was inside stirring the pot. Esau loved the hunting and, uh, and sorry if this is offensive in our gender political culture, but Esau liked to hunt and, and Jacob didn't. He liked to be at home with mum. And actually, so Jacob deceived his brother that not only did he steal a blessing, he also stole the birthright. And Esau got really really ticked off with his little brother. And so I said, I'm going to kill you. And Jacob fled. Fled to his uncle Laban and, and stayed there 20 years. And only by circumstances that caught up with him and got in the midst did he begin to come back. Jacob wasn't a success because of his mates or because of muscle or money. It was when he wrestled with God and submitted to God. And God changed his name. He'll be called Israel. That actually the people of God began to be formed on that confession of faith. Isaiah is saying to the people of God at this time, remember who you are. It's not like Abdul of great... Uh, sorry, the, the, pe- the people of the court around Abdul, the great and the good and the privileged and the born into it and the silver spoon in their mouth, actually saying, you, you were like the lowest of the low and I called you and I raised you up. Don't forget. Because in the context of what's happening, not only are the Assyrians, have, have they destroyed utterly the northern kingdom and, and blotted it out of the history books, But in uh, the story of of chapter 41, uh, at the beginning of of the verses, 2 to 4, there is another one who is coming. There is another one coming, this time, again from the east, the Babylonians, the next superpower. There is a new ruler coming. But God is in it. But you, don't be afraid. I want to show you a, a, a video clip to remind you of something of this. Is it in our own strength or in God's? You may have seen it. It's a bit of an old clip. And uh, as such, the, um, the resolution of the clip is somewhat wanting. But because it's old, it's not the best. But you might have seen it. It's a little bit twee, but it makes the point.
what's going to happen? What rating is this one? If you're uh, listening online again, I just need to say you need to YouTube search uh, bear cub and puma or lion, and it's about a little bear cub. People will be like, what are those sound effects on the recording? It'd be like the weirdest thing. What's going on there? Well, I don't need to explain uh, the video. You can see it. But the parallel, the, the, the application, the insight that it brings is saying, for Israel, they were kind of like the little cub wanting to stand, thinking they are strong. But the opponents that are coming are greater. And the prophet is saying, come back to me. Come back to the Lord, Yahweh. Do not be afraid, he says. There's, there's a beautiful image here. He's not saying it's kind of like two people standing side by side as kind of equals. There's God and there's Israel. There's, there's kind of like, we'll fight this together. The image that is being used, the, the example in verse 41, which is a beautiful uh, picture, twice it kind of refers to it. But it says, for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. The imagery is almost like a father with a toddler. Just one who has started to walk and is stumbling and is kind of wide-eyed and wanting to look down in the drain and stop at every leaf that is blown. And he's going to jump when anything large comes away. But the images of the father who takes the hand of the toddler and says, do not be afraid. I am with you. That it resets the vision, resets the look of when, when the question comes, who are you? You're nothing really in the grand scheme of the world. Who do you compare to the powers and forces and the principalities and the circumstances and the great array ranged against us? Who are we? Just toddlers. But the Lord says, take hold of my hand. And like big mama bear, he fights the battles. The prophet is urging the people of God to return to him because they are thinking that in their strength, in their cleverness, in their political intrigue, in the treaties that they can make with Egypt and other places, then they will be strong. And he says, don't be so stupid. Take my hand as I did with Abraham and as I did with with Jacob, who in himself was a worm and nothing. But look what God has accomplished as you've trusted in me. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't go tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. But the prophet is driving at one of these amazing spiritual principles. That it's in our weakness. In our admission. In our, in our taking the hand of Almighty God, our Father. And saying, I trust you to fight my battles. I'm powerless and weak and small and tired and stumbling, but I trust you. Sometimes it comes easily and sometimes it's hard. 
that as we read the history of Israel, they, they kind of didn't get it. They thought we will trust in the other nations. We will put ourselves under the Egyptian rule, thinking that would give a hedge of protection. And it didn't. The Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and Judah was sent into exile. You can read the history. If only the people of God had learned. I started at the beginning by saying, this book is one of the most valuable things we can have and, and give and possess. I was talking to, to someone yesterday, an author, and he was saying, do you know, there's, uh, the, the uh, authors, the um, publishing houses, they now recognize that no one under 40 reads. That it's not true, Hermes a librarian. But in terms of books being sold in their demographic, they said, don't even try to engage the under-40s. They don't read. Whether or not that's true. How much do we cherish the scriptures? I'm not going to make a big point of this, but, but the writer to the Hebrews really commends and says uh, to, the, to the New Testament family of God, the people of God rescued through Jesus Christ, he says, don't disregard the Old Testament. Learn from their example that their mistakes can become the basis where we don't need to relearn failure. We can see from them how to walk faithfully. And this is a constant lesson to relearn that we, we rec- need to recognize our weakness and not pretend to be strong. If we pretend to be strong with like the little bear who's kind of out there thinking, oh, I'm fine. And when the opponent that is bigger or the circumstance that is unattainable in our strength to resolve comes upon us, we, we feel we're alone and isolated and vulnerable and we're going to be caught down. Uh, as the writer of James would say, the devil is like a lion prowling, prowling around waiting for someone to devour. Genuinely, we are in a struggle. We're praying for dear people who are beset by illnesses the doctors cannot heal. We are weak. We get tired and weary that uh, we get to the end of ourselves. And God says, I know that. Put your hand in mine. I will fight the battles. Will you, sisters and brothers, even before you get to the point of crisis, trust me. Again and again, the scriptures remind us of this from the great stories of Joshua and the fall of Jericho. Who, dist- who brought the walls down of Jericho? God did. He asked them to, to march around seven times and blow trumpets. Uh, and the skeptics would say, well, there was some sort of seismic event and squashed the earth. And of course, the walls were badly built and they fell down by that clever act of knowledge that people, if you walk around seven times and blow trumpets, of course the city walls would fall down. No, it was a little bit of, of a statement by God to trust me, do what I ask, walk around these walls for seven days, and on the final day, and the walls fell, the Lord will fight the battles. This theme of trusting the Lord is one of the crucial things of discipleship that the nation of Israel kept forgetting but needed to relearn. And we as disciples, followers of Jesus, Grasp likewise. No one likes to be weak. No one likes to think, I can't do this. All of us like to say, well, I will achieve it. Asking for help is one of those most difficult things. If I know Phil rec- re- mentioned this morning we'll have sat nav, so we didn't need to ask anymore. But I remember my mum and dad in car, and dad was lost, and no way would he ask for help. 
Even though mum was like, let's just stop and ask that uh, person. They'll know the way. No, we will find it. Again and again, we will rely on ourselves and our own initiative and forget God. One of the things I often reflect on, having come back from from India and uh, and places and praying for people and seeing people healed and seeing um, kind of God at work in all sorts of ways and a vibrancy in faith. And there's lots of reasons for this, but I think part of it is a recognition of weakness. A recognition of where else do we turn but God. Not as the end point, I've tried my best and oh, finally. But actually an implicit, perhaps, assumption of, well, we've nowhere else to go. Of course we'll turn to him. Do you remember Paul? He, he, was, he was praying, he was, he was contending. There was something, he described it as a thorn in his flesh. And he was saying, Lord, take it away, take it away, because it was causing him to, to walk with a limp. We don't actually know what it was. It's a, bit, a little bit vague and lots of people speculate about it. But Paul records, he writes them, three times I implored the Lord, take it from me. And what did God say? No, I won't. My grace is sufficient for you. To the Corinthian church who were uh, big and strong uh, kind of statements and charismatic things, he said that, that actually the weak will shame the wise. And indeed the most profound and poignant definition of this is Jesus on the cross. In that most vulnerable moment of weakness as he dies. The most profound statement of strength. Into your hands God I commit my spirit. Phil rightly again summed it up this morning to say that when the devil, I think it was Phil this morning, it might have been yesterday, when the devil thought he was victorious yesterday, when the devil thought he was victorious, he triumphed, finally defeated any rescue plan of God in that moment of horrific. The greatest victory of all. See, when we begin to reflect upon this, there's something really important that we grasp, that in our weakness, in our our trust in him, in our taking our hand in his as a toddler would a great parent. This is a reminder that God loves us too much to let us be in control. You see, when we put ourselves in the place, the driving seat, in the control, we, we kind of like to struggle in our own strength and think, we can sort it out, we can do it. A statement of, it's my strength, not the Lord's. That when we center on self, we are naturally pushing God to the margin. But in weakness, we ask God in, saying, help requires a statement of faith, dependence upon him. I cannot, but you can. A looking from within to self, to those circumstances, those meager resources that we might have, and looking up, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. It's not a simple thing, but it's a repeated thing to learn again and again and again. That this is the way the kingdom works. This is the way God works. God speaks, we obey. And then God acts to make the impossible 
possible. Paul, in the, in the question of thorn in the flesh, eventually came to that place of understanding that the great strength that he now lived in was actually in his physical or spiritual or emotional or relational weakness. When we are weak, we are dependent. And when we are dependent, we stay close to the source of our protection. Think of little baby bear. <laughs> it would have been better to be with mama bear the start. Leo Tolstoy, he was a a Russian author, reflected on this and struggled with this in so much of his life and learned some great insights. In essence, one of the things he said on this is, is that we so want to follow rules and codes and how-tos and steps, if you do X, Y, Z, 1, 2, 3, A, B, C, the outcome will come. But he, he, he grasped this important thing that, that if we are prone to follow rules, rules, codes, religion, the how-tos, the works, the outcome is ours. It's our effort, it's our strength, it's our achievement. Whereas the journey of the disciple and what the Isaiah the prophet is declaring and what what we see again and again in the scripture of the life of the disciple is saying, I will follow the person. For For the Moses and the people of God and Exodus God, he said, unless your presence goes with us, we will be lost. And only when the pillar of fire or cloud moved did they move. In other words, they didn't know when it was right. They didn't have a calendar. They didn't have a check mark system. They didn't have a, a rule book to follow. I know they had the Ten Commandments. But it was actually about following God with him in his presence. They set out. When he moved, they moved. You see, when we, when we start to become religious... We are centering ourselves, even though it looks like we're being faithful, but it's actually saying, in my steps, what I have achieved, I have done this. Whereas he pointed out that the journey of faith is actually to say, I don't know how close to perfection I've come. He said it like this, one can never, uh, you know, if if we... If we follow uh, a set of rules, external rules or moralism, then we can rate ourselves. Am I better than someone? I'm much more holy. I'm a good person. It's one of the questions coming up on Alpha all the time. I'm much better because I've given to charity. I've never murdered someone. I, I come up here, don't I? All those people, Facebook comment about the persons that pulled the hole in the wall, they're the scum, aren't they? Well, I'm strong because I'm not like them. Whereas actually, Tolstoy points us to the difference. He says, Jesus doesn't give us a bunch of things to achieve or not. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly heavenly Father is perfect. What's he getting at? He's saying that as we follow Jesus, we walk with weakness and humility and say, Lord, lead me. I want to walk with you 
hand in hand, trusting in you, journeying with you, the way, the truth, and the life. He painted this really helpful picture. See, a man who professes an external law, likes to follow rules, thinks of themselves as okay, is like someone standing in the light of a lantern that is fixed on a post. post. Its light is all around. I've achieved this. This is the light. This is the revelation that I've come. Look at me. But there's nowhere further for that person to walk. A person who professes the teaching of Christ, who says, I will love God, I will walk with Jesus, I will seek to love my neighbor as myself. The person who professes the teaching of Christ is like a man carrying a lantern before him on a long, or not so long pole. The light is always in front of him, always lighting up fresh ground and always encouraging him to walk further. And he concludes this, he says, this proof of spiritual maturity is not how pure you are or how pure you think you are, but are you aware of your impurity and yet choose to step onwards? Isaiah was calling the people of God to take the hand of the Lord again. In their weakness, in their rejection of God, you know, it started off saying, you know, that they're making idols and they're putting their trust in all this stuff. And he's saying, don't come back to God. Hold on to me. What in this pressing circumstance where these uh, foreign armies and nations are going to come and they have already obliterated your family in the north. And it seems like madness to simply trust in God. Hear that again and again from people who don't profess faith. It seems like madness to trust in God. My sisters and brothers in India that the team were with me. It seems like madness in a country like India where you can be persecuted so, so easily to trust in Jesus. It seems like madness in a country like ours today where it says, who, are, who needs God? We've got education and social security and, and the fifth biggest economy in the world and oh gosh, all that and the NHS. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. Even the strong and the virile and the young grow weak and stumble. But those who trust in the Lord, those who see the light and step on, those who say, I need him, I will take his hand and step forward, will renew their strength. Let's pray.